in this corner, weighing in at 505 pounds, 229 kilograms, is the Adventure Motorcycle. And in the other, weighing in at a paltry 195 pounds or 88 and a half kilograms, we have you, the rider. The object of the match is to see if the rider will be able to get on and off without the aid of a kickstand and then push the bike through a dirt field and up onto a trailer or in the back of a pickup truck using all methods available. And opposing that, the adventure motorcycle will do everything it can to resist movement and flop on its side. Today on Rider Skills, Motorcycle Wrestling. I'm Jim Martin, this is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us, we got a good one for you. Sam Manicum, Ted Simon, Austin Vance, Simon Pavey, Bill Bragu, Helga Pedersen, Jocelyn Snow, Charlie Borman, Simon Thomas, Lisa Thomas, Grant Johnson, Jimmy Lewis, Quentin Smote, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com You've probably either seen this in real life or seen this on a video or something. Watch a top instructor who rides up on their motorcycle and jumps off of it. They seem to get off with such ease and grace And when they stand there holding the motorcycle, it looks like the bike is weightless. Then they'll shove it around. They'll move it into a spot. You think, how is it that they move this thing with such grace and control when it feels like I'm wrestling my motorcycle every time I try and move it? I push it backwards. It pushes against me all the while trying to flop down onto the ground and lay sideways. Well, Today, that's what we're tackling with our Rider Skills program. We've got Clinton Smout, and Clinton has taught more people to ride than you can imagine. He's been teaching his entire adult life, both on and off-road. He's the head instructor at Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Clinton is certified to teach motorcycling, off-road, on-road, ATVing, snowmobiling. His life is teaching people to ride. And today, we're discussing that motorcycle wrestle. So we're going to get some tips from a pro of how to, well, make that bike move a little bit easier than what it's been doing for us. We're also going to talk about the ways to load your bike into and out of maybe a pickup truck or a, or a trailer or something, and then the all-important strapping it down. This is something that needs to be done correctly. So today, it's Motorcycle Wrestling with Clinton Smout. Clinton, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, Jim. 
motorcycle wrestling is what we're tackling today. Now, for those who are new to the motorcycle wrestling arena, <laughs> motorcycle wrestling is is uh, not so much a sport, but something you're forced into. And what, it really, one of the most difficult things for many riders to do is ride slowly. That's, yes. you know, that's a big thing, right? And so it makes perfect sense. And when you slow down to a crawl, you have very little momentum. You have very little gyroscopic energy because the wheels aren't moving fast enough to generate any helpful gyroscopic force. Sandbagging is the wrestling term here yes. for for a bike. That, so it goes goes without saying that when you get off the bike and you're walking beside it, it's really, really difficult in comparison to when it's rolling. And that's the sandbagging term. It doesn't feel like a an elegant, well designed adventure motorcycle on soft rubber wheels when you're when or tires when you're pushing it around. It feels like quite a slug. So today, with our, our motorcycle wrestling episode of Rider Skills, we're going to talk about the mount and dismount. Um, so that's engaging your bike at its most vulnerable point, the tippiest point when it feels the heaviest right. and most cumbersome. The foot wrestle, moving the bike around while you're standing beside it, both pow- powered and non powered. We'll talk about that, and then finally we'll cover the pinfall in wrestling terms, pinning the bike down, well, strapping it down onto the trailer or, or the back of a pickup. This is the reason these all go together because it's all slow speed, isn't it? I mean, I mean, this is it the is. time when, when um, you have a lot of trouble wrestling that bike. Yeah, for new riders, if you think of what did they move around their home or driveway prior to a motorcycle, something that had two wheels and a pair of handlebars, <laughs> it was a 50-pound or lighter bicycle. Mm-hmm. And then you get a motorcycle. It's probably 500 pounds or lots more than that. And you try doing the same thing, balance, strength, traction, all comes into play, making it a lot harder. You know, if you watch people taking their beginner test, often there's a component where they have to push the bike. That's part of the test. And people really struggle with it. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned the bicycle, 50 pounds. I, mean, I don't think any bikes, you, you're an old school yeah, steel frame, still bikes, bikes are a lot less than that now. But uh, with, with the bicycle, it, it takes away everything that makes it difficult, right? Which I guess is the weight. Yes. Yeah. If 30 pound bike starts to lean a bit to the right, you could recover it with the baby finger. Right. But 500 pound or more bike starts to come off center and lean, especially to the right. If you're on the left-hand side, that could be a drop. Okay, well, let's start off with getting on and off the mount and dismount. Where do we start with this? Well, I think putting it on the center stand, or do you want to start side stand first? Yeah, maybe we should start side stand. Yeah. So you're approaching the bike. The side stand is kicked all the way forward probably the handlebars are turned to the left. We've always recommended people do that when they park because when you put the steering to full lock to the left, the front tire is now on the side wall of the tire. And that makes the whole motorcycle moderately shorter, Jim. So if you stand a motorcycle up, the tallest part of the tire is at the very, very bottom. When you lean it way over, the diameter of the wheel is less. So it's actually a shorter motorcycle. Mm, This has to do with the rake. Yeah. So as you turn the wheel, as you're cranking it, like you're saying, hard to the left, it's dropping the bike down. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's easier, especially if we're not six foot four, it's easier to get on and off a motorcycle with the side stand down if it's leaned over. And it would be preferable to lean it over to the left, the side the side stand is on. So leave the handlebars at full lock to the left when you're mounting. Uh, I've seen some people, they'll stand on the left side of their bike, grab the handlebars, stand it up, then put the side stand up, and then swing their right leg over. That's making it more challenging. And potentially, if you don't kick your right leg up high enough and you kick your seat or back fender, you're probably going to drop the bike. Right. So we always recommend leave the side stand down when you're mounting the motorcycle. Then once your butt's on the seat, if you put your right foot up on the peg, your left foot is firmly down on the ground. If you do a one fluid motion of opening up the handlebars, so they were at full lock to the left, so you're going from low profile sidewall when it's over with the rake, As you push upwards with your left foot and leg, lifting the bike up to the right, open up the handlebars at exactly the same time. That motion helps you lift a heavy motorcycle upright. Yes, that makes perfect sense. So you're using two things there to uh, to get clearance to get your side stand up. Now, what happens if your if your bike's really squatted down, or or you get one of those motorcycles that um, maybe the, the side stand seems to have quite an arc to it? Like for instance, um, oh yes, you know, there's bikes that that you flip the side stand down. The side stand seems to go forward a fair ways. Kind of BMW is bad for this, I think. Yes, they and, did. Yeah, and then when you swing it back, it, it has to travel the arc, and it's like tilting the bike in the opposite direction. Yeah, and that's a, where that's a difficult challenge is I'm thinking of a gentleman that I went to the Yukon with. I was the sweep rider at the back, and this really nice guy, Brian, had one of a Husqvarna 701s a few years ago. It was a really tall bike for his stature. He was barely tippy-toed. So off-road, of course, you know, gravel parking lots, if there's any kind of a slope to it, He couldn't get it off the side stand, and there was no center stand. Once he sat on the bike, as you say, you've got to lift the bike and lean it to the right, then get your left toe to kick up the side stand and drag it back. Well, he couldn't touch the ground, so he often turtled where the bike would fall over to the right side, and he's trapped underneath it. So I'd leap off my bike and rescue him. So I know what you're saying with that. Some side stands kick forward, but it, that's not a problem unless you're vertically challenged. And, and in that case, would you still recommend using the side stand to get on? Or would you say, put the side stand up and then get on? Well, we taught Brian... Uh, what we're going to talk about, I think, is that that Roy Rogers start. Oh, okay, okay. But or, what about the other start? Yeah. What about the other start where you're turning the bars and you're turning your front wheel to the right? You're on the left-hand side, getting on as normal, and you turn your bars to the right, put up, pull on the front brake, and then swing your leg over. Yes, that works great too. And then, if you can touch with both feet, 
you can usually lean the bike over onto your right foot as the left foot drags the side stand backwards and then off you go. No, um, what I'm thinking is though with, with this, with this method is you're putting the side stand up, then you're turning the bars to the right, putting your front brake on and then leaning forward and swinging your right leg over. Okay. So you're standing beside the bike, put the stand up first. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure where that would be a benefit. Why would we want to do that? Hmm. I'm thinking if you have trouble, like, I mean, if you are vertically challenged and you, okay, and you, you can't have trouble, reach. yeah. And you have trouble getting that side stand up. Now I'm with you. That would be that I, when I was a kid, I used to stop and lean my bike up against the garage. Cause I was like six inches too short <laughs> for the bike. But yeah, that method would work for sure. I stand beside it. Front brakes, a very important point you make. So it's not going to roll away on us. And if you grip the bars tightly, and then it's a, an alley-oop with the right leg up and over. So it right. requires a little flexibility that, you know, flexibility and the ability to kick a leg up over diminishes with time. Oh, is that right? Is that right? I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, a hard day's ride on Monday, Tuesday morning might be tough to get the leg up and over. So muscle cramping, you know, uh, there's a level of physical fitness demanded of us as motorcyclists. So this is where your Roy, Roy Rogers start comes in because you've got a, another method that you think is better than that. Yeah. If um, there's many reasons why we might use it, but if your legs aren't long enough that you can sit on the motorcycle and safely put the side stand up, then we would do what you just described as hold the front brake, lean the bike, you're standing on the left side, kick the side stand up. Then what we do is with both feet standing on the left side on the ground, I'll fire up the bike, use my left toe to pop it into first gear, and then leave my left foot up on the foot peg. Then with the steering straight, that's very, very important. You can't have any turn because the bike will then lean and disrupt this whole process. With the steering straight, two fingers on the clutch, light it up a little bit above idle. So there's good power there. As you slowly release the clutch, you simply stand up. So your right foot comes off the ground and you ride away for a short distance with your right leg dangling behind your left foot. So both your legs are still on the left side of your body. Then when you feel balanced and in control, you're still riding. While you're standing up, you swing your right leg around, put it on the foot peg on the right-hand side, sit down the way you go for coffee or wherever you're going. Now, for this method, you have to be quite coordinated yes. because, as you said, you're, you're, you're using the clutch and, and you're sort of transferring your weight to the foot peg as you're pulling away. At the same time, you're easing the clutch out. All has to happen at once. How do you build up to that? What we recommend is don't do it initially the way I just stated. What you should try and do, grassy area is best in case you have a little tip over. 
ride along at slow speed in first gear. Stand up, covering the clutch, but don't pull it in. You're just controlling your speed. As you're riding along, take your right foot and leg and swing it up and around so you're in that dangling the right leg. Keep it away from the spokes, of course, and the chain, but it's dangling so both of your legs are on the left side, your left foot's on the left peg. And you ride around a little, getting accustomed to your body mass being on the left side of the motorcycle. So that balance practice will give you the confidence for the part that I just talked about a minute ago, going from stopped position, let the clutch stand up and ride a little ways with both legs on one side of the bike. Hmm. So the preferred practice method is to do it from a rolling motion. You're already moving along. Then you swing one leg over. And then stage two of that practice is keeping your handlebars pointing you straight as you slowly slow down. Both legs are on the left side. What you do is you gradually slip the clutch in so you lose momentum. Just one finger front brake. You don't want to grab it at that point. And then you simply, as the bike ceases forward motion, you step down with just your right foot. If people are a little nervous, they can kind of leap off with both feet and have their hands tight around the bars, clutch in, front brake on. But the preferred kind of goal is to be able to stop with your left foot still on the left foot peg and your right foot is your balance point. This sounds kind of out there for, for, a, for a motorcycle rider to think of getting on and off. But really, if you sort of go back to you, what you're describing there is exactly the way many people have gotten on and off a bicycle. Same thing. Yes, exactly the same. And that's why I called it the Roy Rogers because a lot of horses... They're so excited to get going. You put your left foot in the stirrup, your hands on the saddle horn, the other hands on the mane and holding the reins. Before you can even move your right foot off the ground, the horse, is, the horse starts walking away. So you're dangling off the left side of the horse and saddle. It's exactly the same concept. Mm. And what you do is with that in that scenario is you actually use the energy of the horse pulling away as it starts to walk away or, or, or take off to pull yourself up. Yeah, same with the clutch, identical. Right. So the bicycle is exactly the same too. Usually we're on the left side of our bicycle because the side stands on that side. You're, the pedal would be down at the bottom of its throw movement with your left foot on it. Mm -hmm. And as you push off with your right foot, we're cheating because we have a clutch and it's lightweight. You simply swing your leg up and over and sit down. And after you get the hang of it, it looks so natural. There's, there's nothing strange about it at all. Yeah, but it was the most controversial YouTube uh, kind of educational video I've ever made. You should have seen the comments. <laughs> People got oh very upset goodness. about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the premise was your GSA is completely loaded up. You're, you're going to Ecuador, so you've got months 
of luggage, bags. So it's sometimes hard to get on our bike from the side stand. And you see people kind of taking that run at their bike and trying to lift their leg up over. And push tough. their foot through sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> holding, holding their right boot. So uh, that's why I illustrated it and showed what I just described. And I called it the Roy Rogers start. And the con- the comments were, are you insane? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's totally <laughs> unsafe. And then people that had done it or at least practiced it, they supported it. But uh, there was a lot of negativity about that one. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, what about the, what about the center stand? What about using centers? I guess let's, let's start with putting the bike on the center stand. This is something that is confusing for some. Yeah, it is. Uh, we actually teach it. Um, the bikes that are come equipped with it. I think it's a fantastic addition to your motorcycle because you can do rear wheel chain or drive shaft maintenance. It's so much easier to fix or install a tire if you have an issue at the rear or front of the bike having a center stand for me is an absolute essential component of an adventure bike it also helps me when i'm washing the bike throw it up on the center stand and it's easier to spin the rear wheel around as i'm getting the garden hose up underneath the fender etc so i love it uh, changing oil you know i could go on and on gotta have a center stand mm-hmm. But the secret we talk about is your bike is on the side stand, approach it from the left, and leave the side stand down, Jim. That's kind of a backup in case, you know, things go wrong. Mm, Pull pull the bike a little bit towards you, and that's recovery. It's not going to fall down because the side stand's there. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that once you've got tons of experience, but for practicing the first few times, we recommend a side stand down when putting the bike on the center. We also recommend if, you know, you've just bought a monster adventure bike and it's all loaded up, that's going to add to the challenge. You might as well have your passenger on the back when you're trying Hmm. to put it on the center stand. You know, the bike should be as naked as possible. A smaller bike is easier to learn this with. It doesn't weigh as much. But the finesse of doing it and the technique are identical regardless of the weight and size of the bike. Let let me just interject, and I hope I'm not taking away from your your presentation of this. But, I mean, I know the big question everybody has with this is, are you lifting the bike up when you put it on the center stand or are you pulling it? Bit of both. Okay. If you look at the center stand on your bike, the engineers have curved the bottom feet such that if you pull backwards and the feet of the center stand don't move, that engineered arc starts to push up on the vehicle. So just by moving it backwards, the back wheel's coming off the ground. And I haven't lifted anything. I'm just kind of moving it backwards. So it is a pull and a push. It's both. A pull and a lift. Yes. Sorry, pull and a lift. Because just lifting, um, you know, Hulk Hogan could do it. Like just lift it up in the air and kick the side stand down. That wasn't how the 
the center stand was engineered. So what we do is approach it from the left. It's in neutral, of course. And what I do is I turn the handlebars full lock to the left with it on the side stand. Then I stand it up straight, but I leave the handlebars at full lock. Now my left hand is on the left grip on the clutch side. It's in neutral. My left foot is on the ground with my toes, and this is very important, my toes are perpendicular to the bike. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Your, your toe is pointing in the direction of the foot peg. It's, it's like parallel exactly. to the foot peg. Okay. Exactly. Now, my right hand is on some kind of grab bar back where a saddlebag might mount or a seat rail. Sometimes I've seen people lift up under the seat and that will damage how the seat goes onto your bike. So don't lift by the bottom of the seat. It wasn't designed for pulling. So somewhere, even under the rear fender, as long as you're not bent over too far, because that would mean you're now lifting with your back, which is weaker than your legs. So now I've got my two hands, one's on the left bar. The reason it is at full lock, Jim, is my hand is closer to me and that bar can't move left or right if it's at full lock. Now, what I do then with my right foot is I put it on the toe of the center stand and I depress it down so it's, I've got a little bit of weight on it. Then when I want to try it in one fluid motion, I take my left foot off the ground and put all my weight on my right foot that's on the toe of the center stand. At the same time, I'm going to pull backwards with my left arm and lift up with my right arm and roll the bike up and backwards. And so my left foot, I'll sometimes kick it up in the air. So that's really giving me a forceful input on my right foot, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. You, you've, you've blindsided me a little here, Clinton, because I, I had never heard this method done with the handlebar to the lock. My method, every time I've ever done it, is always keeping the, hand, the handlebar, the wheels, pointing straight ahead because you're pulling it straight back. So it's interesting to hear you describe it this way. Yeah, you can. if you leave it straight, you can't pull on the left grip backwards no, it's as all well. No, it's all your right hand, so it's all on yes. your, your right side, yeah. So it really works for um, the students we've taught it, uh, most people are successful even with great big heavy bikes. Wow, so, so when you're pulling it back with the handlebar locked to the left, does the bike not want to turn slightly as you're putting it up on the stand? Tiny bit. Not enough to worry about? Not enough to worry about. The huh. rear wheel's off the ground at that point, so it doesn't move hardly, you know, a couple inches. Well, I can certainly see the advantage because that would give me another hand to pull on instead of yeah. just my right hand trying to lift and pull back at the same time. Now with pulling on the left, yeah, that, that's got to make it much easier. Yeah. And this, well, cool thing is you could practice this in the winter as long as your bike is not jammed up against your favorite sports car or something. <laughs> but if it's a safe area, you can practice this in the garage. 
Wow, very nice. I, I like that. That's that's really interesting. That the, having the the handlebar locked and it makes it sound so so much easier. What about um, those who like to get on the bike while it's on the center stand and ride away? Yeah, that was me. It's a bit of a show off move, I must admit. But uh, I had a what was that? Nineteen eighty five K one no eighty six K one hundred BMW street bike, beautiful bike. They called it the flying brick because the way the bike uh, engine design. Anyway, it is a side stand and a center stand. So to get gas or to park it, I would always leave it on the center stand. And then I'd put my helmet on, my jacket, fire the bike up. Soon as it was off the enricher, it didn't have a choke, but it had an enricher. What I would do is stand up, push my weight forward and roll it off the center stand and just ride away. All in the same motion. So your feet are up and you just sort of rock yeah, it yeah. forward and away you go. Yeah. And you look so cool oh, doing yeah. that. Well, I did that for, I probably had that bike for 10 years, but I don't know when, maybe five years after doing this, your center stand is not really designed for your weight on top of the bike going on and off the center stand. It weakened the metal. I don't fault BMW. I fault Clinton. I weakened it. So one day I'm going to get gas. I take the key out, open up my gas cap. I probably had half a tank, but I had a couple hundred kilometers to go. Then I uh, went to throw it up on the center stand so I could get the pump. And one of the legs of my center stand broke off because I'd weakened it after years of doing this show off, roll off thing. So now the bike crashes into the gas pump, <laughs> dents my aluminum tank, which was pristine up till then. Oh, man. And all the gas sloshes out over a really hot engine in July. So it could have been ugly, but. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. So, so that's the downside of, of using your center stand as a, um, as a launching tool. And and it's fairly simple to do the launch off the center stand. Can you, can you just describe that if somebody wants to play and try that? Yeah. So the bike has to be running obviously, or it works best if it's running because you don't have to put your feet down at all. And that might be handy if you're vertically challenged, you're not six foot four. You leave your feet on the pegs, the bike's running, you put it in gear. And this works well because a center stand doesn't have a safety kill feature like a side stand does. 90% of the bikes manufactured today for the street have an idiot feature uh, electrical cutoff switch. So if your side stand is down, you put it in gear, kills the bike. And that's a very useful feature. So... The center stand doesn't have one of those. So what you do is you put it in gear. As you stand up, roll, rock the bike forward so your weight goes from back to forward. So that motion will change the weight balance onto the front tire and the bike rolls forward and the center stand goes up. At that point, you slip the clutch out and ride away. So it's a way to look like a hero. Right. And you have to be quite coordinated. And expect while you're trying this, probably to stall it a few times and drop the bike. Yeah. I I can't remember doing that. But unless your side, your center stand leg breaks off, 
because of the abuse it's taken over years and years. You know, and the thing with that is too, you, you'll have no warning. You can look at it unless you look very, very closely to see the, the cracking marks of metal. Yes. Uh, and many times it's very tough to spot. Some of the things to look for are those crack signs, crinkled paint, rust yes. um, coming out of a seam, something like that. Those are indicators that you've got a crack. But unless you check it very closely, very, very closely, then you're not going to see that. It's gonna, just going to surprise you one day. Yes. And that's because I abused it. It wasn't engineered for what I was doing with it. It was completely my fault. Mm. So what do you do to show off now from the gas pump? Uh, well, not too much at the gas pump. A funny story, though, last summer it was really, really hot day. So I'm in full uh, adventure bike gear, safety vest, full face helmet. Of course, I had the visor up, but I'm gassing up my bike. And this guy rides in on his bike. And you hear the kug, 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 kug. And he is looking at me. I'm looking at him. And we do the motorcycle greeting, the head nod. So he's gassing up. He's got cut off shorts, flip flops, <laughs> a muscle shirt. And it looks like a black soup bowl as a helmet with a strap on it. And we're both thinking identical thing about each other. What an idiot. <laughs> what an idiot, exactly. <laughs> he's going, it's a beautiful day. Look at this moron with all this gear on. He's, you're, you're dressed for the Arctic and uh, yeah. you're going you're gonna to pass out from the heat. And, uh, and yeah. of course, if he goes down, he's going to be ground meat. Wow, that wasn't yeah. planned, but it came out that way. Yes. I usually dress for the crash just in case. Yep, absolutely. I agree with you. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> okay, so so for getting on and off, was there anything yes. else you had for that? Uh, other than practice it with a spotter really helps, especially oh, throwing it up on the center stand. You know, it could move over, could lose balance and fall to the right. You're not on the right side, so you can't catch it. But if it does happen, let the thing go. Otherwise, it'll drag you on top of it as you fall. Mm. And that could really hurt you. It's just a motorcycle. Hopefully, you've got some crash guards if it's an adventure bike. If it hasn't fallen down yet, trust me, it's probably going to. So practicing, um, it might involve a tip over. That's why it's handy to have a spotter there that can help you. take just a quick break. I want to tell you about three things. When we come back, we've got a lot more coming up with Clinton. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. Giant Loop believes lighter and simpler is better. And how and where we ride shouldn't be dictated by what's strapped onto our motorcycles. Riding is just plain more fun when unnecessary weight and bulk are removed. Sound thought process, I think. Giant Loop eliminates elements focusing on what's needed to serve the product's mission. No extra straps, no extra buckles. Instead, each product is purpose-built to enhance the riding experience for those who want modular, customizable packing systems that's durable, stable, intuitive, and lightweight. Giant Loop Moto is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. GiantLoopMoto.com Moto Camp Nerd is a store for motorcycle camping gear. In fact, according to Ben and Mary Williams, the founders, it's the only store like it. 
because what they do is they geek out on camping gear for motorcyclists. In fact, they say that everything they stock is specifically chosen for performance, bulk, and weight for us motorcyclists. Now, Ben and Mary are also motorcycle campers, and they're continuously researching and testing gear to find the best choices for us riders. It's a passion-driven store, and Ben and Mary are more than willing to answer any questions you have and help you sort out your best options. This is amazing because you've probably been into an outdoor store and you've, you've asked for help. And if you mention motorcycle, generally they just have no clue what we're talking about. And we want to talk with people who know how we think. There's nothing better than dealing with people who know and understand what you're talking about when you're asking for something. You can shop at Moto Camp Nerd online, but you can also walk into their brick and mortar store in Trinity, North Carolina. And they stock brand names like Big Agnes, Nemo, Sea to Summit, and, and many more. Their website is motocampnerd.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Motocampnerd.com. Peg weighting is part of controlling your bike. And to peg weight properly, you need a proper place to put your foot. And that comes in a quality foot peg. IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs designed for exactly the way you ride. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Okay, well, let's move on to the foot wrestle then. This is wrestling your motorcycle with your feet on the ground. Yes. Um, now, it could be powered or non-powered. I guess we're going to get into both of those. But what's, what's the key thing to keep in mind when we're dealing with this? We're moving our bike around when we're standing beside it. I think we've talked about it a bit before. Balance is huge. So when we first get these behemoths compared to a bicycle, they are hard to move around, both in physical strength, but the bike will drop to the right or the left a lot easier than a lightweight bicycle. So it takes practice moving it. What we recommend is lean the bike over onto your left hip, if that's a good uh, height match, your hip and the bike seat or side cover. Maybe your right hip, though, of course, if you're standing on the left side. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. The odd time, Jim, I'm going to make a mistake. No, See I if you're that. actually listening. <laughs> I definitely appreciate that. And it does keep me on my toes. I find myself actually Good. listening to what you're saying. That's right. <laughs> so you're on the left side of the bike and the bike's leaned onto your right hip just a little bit. You're not three feet away from the bike, obviously. You're a few inches away and lean it towards you. And then with good traction boot footwear, you know, not flip-flops, or even a running shoe, then you can get a good grip on whatever ground you're on to push off with your arms and traction from your feet. Mm -hmm. Cover the front brake, and that's how we recommend starting pushing. Uh, best to practice on flat ground first in the garage or in the driveway, as long as it's not a steep slope, and then change it. Uh, the traction that is different from pavement to gravel, gravel is a lot harder to push your bike through. Sand is really hard to push your bike through. So uh, physical fitness is, will come into play. Uh, hopefully you're riding with a friend. If you have to push a bike for any distance, you know, take your time, watch your energy level, your breathing. And maybe it would be best if two of you push each other's bike at once. 
then go back for the other bike. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned practice there, and and I know that you teach this as well. For I think you teach it for standard for your some of your uh, one part of your motorcycle license anywhere where you have to walk around the bike and balance it. And, and like with your hand using the mirrors, et cetera, as you make your circle around the motorcycle. And I guess the more we do this, the more in tune we, come, we become with the balance of the bike and the less of a behemoth it feels like when you're trying to maneuver it because you know the balance point. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, I probably had a lot of experience pushing bikes because I had no money and a love for motorcycling. So I would buy a $85 bike that needed to get home when it broke. I did a lot of pushing as a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now we have to move, you know, 20 bikes out of shipping containers to put them in line for customers. And then we start them all up. So I'm always pushing a bike and it, it helps keep you fit because it is a lot harder than just walking. Obviously you're pushing your bike. But um, if I had to push it a long way, of course, I would take my jacket and helmet off, put the helmet over the mirror, the jacket over the seat. If it's a hot day, watch for fatigue. Mm -hmm. But uh, the balance part of it is really important. The bike will get away from you if you're not balanced with it off the bike. I've seen this many times. You're talking about moving in and out of the containers. I've seen it even just like with videos with you getting on and off the bike when you stand beside the bike or anybody who's an advanced rider, the bike tends to look weightless. I've seen it at the dealership where you get a salesperson that deals with like pushes bikes in and out every single day and they move with such grace and such balance. That only comes with practice. It does. It was so neat. I was just thinking of this nice old gentleman, Henry, I go to a Tim Hortons coffee shop in my hometown often before I go to work. And there's always cronies in every coffee shop or probably around the world. It's old men often who got up for a lifetime of labor at five o'clock in the morning. Oh, right. So even though they're retired, they still get up at five. They don't need an alarm clock. And they go and talk about world events or cars or bikes or whatever. And this nice old gentleman was 87 years old, still driving, had his own place, very fit for his age. And he would always ask me questions about the motorcycle I had. Well, it turns out he was a motorcycle cop in the 50s. So the stories he told were fantastic. But I said to him, he came out. And he was looking at this BMW I had, and he couldn't get over all the features of kind of a modern bike. This one had a heated seat and heated grips. (laughs) He was kind of smirking at that. But I said, you're welcome to sit on it, Henry, if you'd like. And he immediately got on that bike like he'd done it a thousand times before, where there was no hesitation. He did it perfectly. It was on the side stand. And I thought, yeah, that guy was a rider. Yeah. Somebody who's done it so much that, mm-hmm. um, that is, is just from experience, just from doing it. So I guess what, the, what I'm saying here is that it's, it's best to get out and practice this stuff. That even this is so, it seems so minute, almost, you know, like a waste of time, this type of thing, yes. that, that whole balance thing. But it's huge. It makes all the difference. And then you can get closer to somebody like you when you watch. You get off the bike and you stand there and hold it. And it looks like the bike is super light, but I know it's the same weight as if I rode it. Yeah. 
I probably don't have much gas in it. I learned that trick <laughs> when, when I'm demonstrating things. Don't fill a GSA with, you know, um, I don't know what it is in gallons, but it's 30 liters of gas. Yes. And then I'm I'm going to demonstrate how to pick up a fallen motorcycle. <laughs> so I learned that trick. A little trick there. You know, it, one thing, and this is off topic, of course, but that I think about often when it comes to training with motorcycles. And I think about why don't trainers like yourselves have bike or at least a couple of bikes set up with like some really wide, like round crash bars, something like you'd see in a circus, you know, so the bike can yes. fall over and never touch the ground. Wouldn't that really save a lot? It sure would. The I know that on all of our bikes for the school, I do engine crash guards and uppers so it protects you know the side parts of the gas tank things like that and i tell people don't worry about damaging the bike uh, we don't charge people for little minute scratches you know they stare at a tree and hit it that's going to cost them some money if they're on my bike <laughs> but um, they're very tough motorcycles adventure bikes and with good crash guards and bark busters, lever protection, uh, a fall is not going to hurt anything. It's the only thing the odd times a stock mirror will snap off. If it sticks out past the hand, handlebar end. Mm -hmm. Or if it catches a rock or something like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we've seen a lot of mirrors break until we, we started using these ones, the double take ones we've talked about. Um, I think I bought 20 of them eight years ago and we just transferred them to the new bikes. And we've broken two glass lenses, which uh, you just take a picture of that and they warranty it because they're talked, you know, they market it as unbreakable. Mm, and these mount with, I know we've talked about this before, they mount with a, the ball and socket, which is um, yes. ram mounts. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. So, um, one thing I qualify to our BMW customers when they come is that this bike differs a little from the one you'll buy at the dealer. A, we've put a 50-50 tire on it, and it probably won't come with that unless you specifically order it from the dealer. We've changed the mirrors, not because these are crisper, because they're not as crisp. Anytime you put an elbow in a mirror bar mount, that is a little more susceptible to vibration. So a solid single bar from where it mounts to the handlebar to the mirror, less vibration. But I tell them it's to save them money because a BMW mirror is a couple hundred dollars. And that is a very common breakage when GSs tip over. Mm -hmm. So we qualify it. Okay, so um, now I know, I know we're going to go into moving the bike around under power, but just before we do, what about when you're moving the bike around and you have to use brakes? So if you're going down a hill, well, you won't be going yeah. up a hill, but so if you're going down a hill. Right. Um, what if, if it's, you're a fairly new rider and the bike starts to get away from you going down a hill? It's picking up speed because you're in neutral the weight of that vehicle is going to pull it along at a pretty good clip. So in a little bit of a startled maneuver, you may grab the front brake. And that could be enough to cause a tip over due to a balance loss or traction loss. 
So an alternative, which I don't know if we were going to talk about it here, Jim, but it might be more relevant with unloading a motorcycle down a ramp or off a truck or trailer. I'd leave it in first gear. I would do that going down a hill. And I've done that many, many times. I did it last year in Colorado. The downhill was actually too steep um, where customers had struggled going up and they stopped. I would turn their bike around and I was showing them, just walk beside it, leave it in first gear, shut the engine off, and then slip the clutch really, really gently until the bike moves slowly. But there's still drag on the gearbox holding the back tire back. Don't pull the clutch right to the bar because the bike's going to take off. And then if it gets away from you, get a little nervous, let the clutch out and the back wheel stops it. Mm -hmm. In that instance, it's much safer descending with first gear in the clutch than it is with front brake. Much, much safer. What about getting through, like if, you, if you're traveling somewhere and you get to, you're staying at a place and they let you put your bike in the foyer, you know, you've got to go through a doorway or, or upstairs into lobbies, those sorts of things. Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, well, the bar width, the handlebar width is probably close to the same as the door opening. So often you've kind of got to angle a little, turn the handlebars full lock to the left and kind of lean and push until the gas, the throttle side is past the door jam. So you're halfway into the door. Then you lean the motorcycle over and turn the wheel straight. Now your left bar is into the door. But anytime that you do that, a couple of hotels, you know, maybe they weren't the Ritz or the fanciest hotels. But if the, the person who owns the hotel has suggested to me a couple times when traveling, you know, it's okay if you put your bike right in the hotel room. It would be nice if it wasn't all muddy or wasn't leaking gas or oil. Or oil, yeah. So if it is, you know, protect the floor, put some newspapers down or something, but you can get it through a door. <clears throat> Rather than open this great big garage door at our shop, I'll take it in the man door by doing that method I just talked about. Mm-hmm. Either ride it in or push it in by dipping one side of the handlebar through the opening, then straightening up the bar to get the other. And as long as I can get the GS's um, exposed cylinder heads through, then I'm good to go. Now, and, and I guess with this, you would recommend taking everything you can off of it. So if you've got panniers that you can remove off of it fairly, fairly easy, that'd be the time to do it. Yes, and it makes it a lot easier to push with less weight as well. But yeah, with the panniers on, then it's a lot wider. It may not fit through a man door. Mm -hmm. What about loading it onto a trailer or the back of a pickup? This can be a tricky maneuver. 
Yeah, I think it's an entertaining half hour or so if people <laughs> want to look at YouTube. <laughs> right. Well, what what would you start with? Like, what are the precautions? Because there, there's a method to do this, I think that, or, or methods, I guess there's a bunch of different ways to do it. But um, I think there's some important things, and that's probably one of them would be to do with where you're standing. Yes. Uh, the ground that you're on, if it's flat or level, what I'll often do if there's a little bit of a slope or maybe even a ditch, I would angle my pickup truck or trailer on that slope. So when I put the ramp from the ground to the back of the pickup or trailer, the height difference from ground to the pickup bed is less. Right, that makes sense. Because I've changed the angle. Mm -hmm. And then... It's it's probably an hour-long topic, but if we could make it, it's got to be safe. So the procedures I use, I loaded this BMW I told you about in the snow and ice the other day. Mm-hmm. Now, it had been in a beautiful, warm dealership in Barrie, so it fired right up. What I did, and they laughed at me, I carry a trials bike helmet, just an open-face helmet. I just leave it in my truck for loading and unloading. I won't walk up beside a motorcycle onto a truck, especially slippery conditions, without a helmet on. Mm. Or I wouldn't, I would never load an ATV without a helmet on. I've had too many, you know, in the old days, we just used a two by 10 board or something. We didn't have fancy ramps with traction on them. Yeah. I've seen boards fall off of vehicles. I've kicked them off myself with the back tire. And the bike's half off the truck. Yeah, now what do you do? <laughs> so a couple of things we do is pick a point where the height of the bed of the truck or trailer is reduced if possible. Then I would get up in the back of the truck and I put my tie-down straps in place. Because some great big adventure bikes, people load it onto the truck And then they've got to wiggle or climb up on the side rails of the pickup and struggle to get their straps in place. It's because they did it out of procedure. So the straps have got to be in place first. I use four straps. If I need a wheel chalk, I make sure that's in place in the truck. Then I secure the ramp. And I have all kinds of ramps. I have individual ones that are you know maybe 10 inches wide they're metal and they've got very abrasive holes punched through them so you get phenomenal traction with tires and footwear i don't like just a two by ten shiny board Uh, what we used to do is take a chainsaw and just rip lightly scratch marks on the wooden board to give you a little bit better traction. That was the cheap man's loading ramp. Yeah, you could also nail some shingles to it. That might be another method. Yeah, or the other exactly. one is get some expanded wire mesh and, and fasten it to it. Yeah, great ideas. But whatever I do, I secure with my two back tie-down straps that I'm going to use for the back of the bike later. I use them to secure the ramp to the truck. If it's a really low trailer, a foot off the ground, I still secure the ramp to the back of the trailer. It takes 30 seconds. 
and I tighten it up so that that ramp's not going to move as I'm loading something. Then if I'm walking the bike up, so the bike has one single ramp, I like to have another one for me to walk up. Because, you know, an old motocross bike or a trials bike, I would be on the ground, put the bike up onto the bed of the truck, right, or push it up the ramp or use the clutch and the power of the bike in first gear. And then I would get on my knees onto the tailgate, then stand up and put the bike on the rest of the way. But if you don't, if the bike is too heavy to do that, too big, you'll need an engine stand or something to step on so your height is close to the tailgate height as the vehicle, the bike, gets higher and higher on the ramp. Mm -hmm. Unless your arms are five feet long, you can't do it otherwise. Now, just to, to sort of recap there, the reason you said about holding this, the, the ramp in place, you said so it doesn't move, but what happens with ramps is, and people may not realize this unless they've done it themselves, is because the driving wheel is on the ramp when you're using power, it'll quite often shove the ramp right out, like actually shoot it out as it gets to that point where it needs the most energy to get up onto the back of the pickup or the trailer. And the point of, have, of uh, having something to stand on, when you get the bike up just into the back of the pickup or just onto the trailer, that's the most critical point. And if you're standing on the ground, there's no way you're going to balance that. It's pretty tough. A lot of people then drop their bike. That's where it falls, mm -hmm. is their arms are up in the air, fully extended. Now what do they do? Yeah. So my preference for the last 20 years is I buy, it's called a bifold or just a folding ramp. So I have one that's three linked pieces. They're probably two feet wide and they're all hinged and they fold together. So when the three are stacked, they're two feet wide. That way I can put it up beside a big adventure bike in the back of my truck. Or if it's an ATV, I slide it up underneath the ATV between the wheels. But the beauty of having a wide ramp is I can't step off a single woods ramp into space and I can walk up beside my motorcycle. And I often will ride up the adventure bikes, especially as I age. It, it saves me pushing them, walking up beside it. I'll just ride it up mm -hmm. nice and slow and smooth. But you need a really good sturdy ramp to do that because now your weight is on top of the bike, which makes it a little challenging if you've got a Mickey Mouse ramp. You've also got to have the skill for that because if you second guess it at all, there's no recovery, not, nowhere to put your feet down really. Yeah, and that's a lot of the YouTube videos. <laughs> the bike smashes into the back of the pickup and the rider goes over the handlebars. <laughs> Yeah. So you definitely don't want to do that. Right. Now, now we're just about to actually get into uh, the, our next thing that we're going to talk about. And that's the pin down or the pinfall holding your yes. bike down. But before we do that, can I just get you to talk about, because you're talking about you uh, walking beside the bike with it powered, that's part of our, our maneuvering the, in the foot wrestle, isn't it? We're moving around. It's much more convenient to have it under power. Yes. So starting off on a hill is something we teach 
uh, beginning riders. So moving off on flat ground, you need a little bit of throttle, slow clutch release. We're, we've mastered that. Now to make a little more challenge, uh, uh, what we do is on flat ground, we say to the customer, okay, pick the point of the throttle up above idle. So instead of pop, up, up, it's pop, up, 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 up. It's not screaming, but you've got a little power built up. Now, as you release the clutch slowly, there'll be a little bit of release when nothing happens. Then suddenly the bike will start to move. The sound of the engine comes down a little because you're putting a bit of a load on it now because it's starting to pull you and the bike's weight. What we tell customers who are beginning is now count three steamboats. One steamboat, the bike moves forward. Don't drop it yet. Two steamboats, your feet can come up, but you still have your hand on the clutch. You haven't fully released it. Three steamboats, you've moved three yards or three meters. You're safely underway. You can slip the clutch all the way out if that's the appropriate maneuver. So if you're starting on a hill, change your three-second release to 10 seconds, eight seconds, or infinity. If I'm going up a really long hill, I never let the clutch all the way out. And it's not going to hurt the bike slipping it if I just have a little bit of throttle on. So that's the clutch throttle skill sets you need to load a motorcycle up an incline, a ramp into a pickup truck, for instance. You can't just drop the clutch. Uh, it's The front wheel's already in an elevated position. So it could possibly even wheelie out of control as you're trying to load it. So slipping the clutch that I'm always talking about, having two fingers on it, that's another benefit that skill set will give us. We can load a motorcycle because we'll be in control. So you're going to have to have a little more throttle because now there's an incline to you're going uphill. Now, and are you standing beside it at this point? Is that what yes. you're talking about? Yeah. Left side. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then um, a steady release and a steady unaltered speed is your best bet. So if you're approaching walking it from, I always like to have not a run at it, but I don't like stopping with the front tire when it's on the ramp. That's making it a lot harder to continue. So we recommend be a few feet off the back of the truck and the ramp, slowly walk towards it with throttle and clutch. You're on the left side. And when it hits the ramp, you've got to adjust clutch and throttle so you can maintain momentum. You don't want wheel spin. You don't want it stopping because that makes it's going to roll backwards. You're going to have to grab the front brake, which is not the best way to stop a reversing motorcycle because mm. all the weight is on the back wheel. So the front wheel will often slide or skid on the ramp and you're out of control. So if you want to practice loading your bike on a truck, just practice on a gentle hill first. It's exactly the same. 
Now, the example that you that you just gave a minute ago when you were talking about riding away and, and making your your takeoff slower, counting to three steamboats, that's you're sitting on the bike and you're pulling your, your feet up. But what you're teaching there is the learning how to slip the clutch and that intention when you're standing beside it for loading into the vehicle, into the back of a pickup or onto a trailer. When you're saying ease the clutch out as it starts and until it starts to pull away, you have no intention of ever letting the clutch out all the way, do you? This no is way. continual slip, just like you said on the hill that you do when climbing a steep hill if you have to start in a midpoint. Yes, because the bike will get away from you. Whenever the clutch is fully out, the bike's kind of in control. It's like a horse grabs the bit in its mouth. You can pull on the handlebars of the reins. That's not going to stop forward momentum if the clutch is out. So slipping it, holding two fingers on it. And then once I get the bike up on level surface, the bed of the pickup, I can pull the clutch in and hit the kill switch. And everything's under control. That old slipping of the clutch thing, I swear it comes into everything we ever talk about, Clinton. It does. It'll be on my tombstone, I'm convinced. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the pinfall, holding it down or the or the pin. I, I'm trying to make it, use that as a wrestling term, obviously, but um, to, yes. to pin this bike down and hold it in position. What is the concept of fastening the bike down? Okay, so we've got our bike back up on top of the truck. Um, depending on the length of the bed, of the truck, I prefer to have the tailgate up if I possibly can. So I took a 1250 BMW to New York and we did that BDR, Eastern BDR last September. Oh yeah. And long story short, I ordered a long box Toyota Tundra and the salesman made a mistake. And I have a short box now until, and I have to wait probably another three months, my new truck arrives with a long box because hey, it was hang there. Hang on a second, Clinton. You mean to say you went and ordered a brand new pickup truck just to go for a ride in the States? Yes. No, I needed <laughs> a pickup truck because my old one, I wrecked the engine on it. Long story. Okay. Now I just wanted to get that, that clear because it sounded like you ordered the truck to go on this trip. So no, no. How do they make a mistake and give you a, a truck that's shorter than what you actually order? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. Okay. So the guy was in a rush, I guess. So right. I waited nine months for that truck. Post-COVID, production delays, mm. blah, blah, blah. It showed up and I go to pick it up. I took a motorcycle a small 250 that I could, with a couple of mechanics, we lifted it up because I didn't have a ramp with me on my bike. So I go look at my new truck. I go, that's not my truck. I ordered a long box. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. So I asked the our office manager to send the email confirming the color, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh man, yeah, that was our fault. So I'm still, it's going to be another, from the time that happened, Another nine months till I get the proper one. They let you take that truck though anyway? Well, I desperately needed a truck. So oh, I'm going to I'm gonna trade it in on the new one when it arrives. Oh, I see. Mm. But I didn't want to ride to New York to go on this BDR ride. I thought I'd like to try my new truck out on the highway. But the tailgate wouldn't close with the GS in the back. So what I did is I angled the front tire into the left front corner of the box, put it on the side stand, strapped the front end down. So I, 
I just put it on the side stand to get off. Then what I did is lifted it up and I put one tie down strap onto the front of the bike. Now, uh, BMWs with a telelever front end, that different fork system they have, do not strap it to the handlebar. You go up underneath and it's around the triple clamp is a safer, better way because then you compress the suspension. Isn't, anyway, the, isn't the triple clamp the best place, at least on the forks up by the triple clamp, on every bike? Uh, yes, but on a BMW, since they've been using this unique, fantastic front end that prevents, uh, it really minimizes diving under aggressive braking. Mm-hmm. So what you do with that bike, it's recommended you put your tie-down straps around the fork on the bike, not at the top of the triple mm-hmm. clamp. I'll send you a picture of it. Okay. So what I do then is I put my side stand up because the side stand should never be down on a motorcycle that you're transporting in a truck or trailer. Let's say that gonna, again. A side stand should never be down when you're transporting your motorcycle. Okay. Because when the truck or trailer hits bumps and deviations in the road, the motorcycle suspension is supposed to move up and down a little bit. If your side stand is down, you're going to dent the bed of your pickup truck, possibly bending and damaging the side stand as well. Mm-hmm. So we see so many customers bring their own bike to the training course and they're towing it or they have it in their truck and the side stand is down. So a side stand is not meant to be down when transporting. When I asked you the concept of fastening the bike down, what I was wondering about is, is the actual strapping process and it's triangulation, isn't it? Yes. And part of that engineers have figured out right and wrong. So in where I live, Ontario and Canada, there's federal laws that the Ministry of Transportation upholds. So if uh, an MTO examiner pulls over your truck or trailer, when they inspect the way you've loaded, one of the things they look at is the strap tensile strength. And it It kills me to see somebody with a $30,000 motorcycle and they've bought a pack of six straps for $19.99 at a hardware store. (laughs) And they're absolute junk. Mm -hmm. They're the the style that aren't a ratchet. They just grab with tension. There's a spring jaw release. Mm -hmm. And they're fine. I use them. I use that design of securement of the strap, but I don't use $4 straps on expensive motorcycles. It's false economy mm-hmm. because uh, straps will break or the jaw releases under pressure when the bike bounces. So when you're buying straps, get off your wallet and buy some good ones. The ones I like are at least two inches wide because that gives the jaw a wider area of securement when it's pressing in on the threads of the strap. You're talking about the cam lock style. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they're, the wider they are, the better. I also don't like an open hook 
So if you look at most straps, they just have an open hook that goes on the handlebar and into the tie-down um, securement area of the pickup. What happens sometimes is if you hit a rough road, which adventure bike riders, off-road riders, there's often rough gravel roads where we're transporting our vehicle to. Now your truck is bouncing. The suspension on the bike goes down and that hook can fall off. So I only use straps that have, it's made out of the same material as the strap and it is an extra foot of material that goes past the hook. So I put the material through the handlebar or the triple clamp and then that loops into the hook. Mm. So there's no way that can come off when the bike's bouncing around. I was going to mention with, with hooking to the triple clamp, something that, that I started doing just for simplification of, of loading and unloading into the trailer, because it's doing it a lot. We have the bike in our trailer that we've converted into a sleeping um, trailer as well. So you have to roll the bike out each time to put the bed down. And what I found was it was easier to get two loops of strap. So you, you make a small loop and you put the loop of strap around the triple clamp and you can leave that in position, providing not riding the bike. You can leave it in position, but it makes it a lot easier to hook up, particularly if you're sort of tight for space or anything because the strap hangs out from underneath and then you can get your tie down strap onto that strap and fasten it down. Yeah, much smarter. Um, most of the tie down straps metal hooks are covered in cheap plastic or paint that wears off and now you're putting that piece of steel around your chrome handlebars or your forks it's going to damage and scratch your bike diminishing its value mm -hmm. so i like using those heavy duty cloths they're called a cheater strap or a helper strap and then you hook into that lower it comes down and brings the hook down lower than the handlebars. Well, we're talking about triangulation uh, and, and that's what we're talking about with as far as the strapping goes. The wheel itself, the front wheel, has to go into something that, that holds it in place. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so this bike I took down on this BDR route, I didn't need or want a wheel chalk because I simply jammed the front wheel into the corner of the bed of the box. So in essence, that so becomes your wheel chalk. It was. But if you just put it up against the bed of your pickup truck, then it could move around, especially hitting bumps. Now the wheel, the front tire can move just a couple of inches is all it needs to the left. Now the right tie down strap is very loose. Mm-hmm because your wheel turned that could cause the bike to fall over so it's very important if you don't have a professional wheel chalk you could make one out of wood even just have something on the left and right side of the tire you can cut a two by four that length so it holds the wheel in place. So run it laterally, pushing it up against the size of yeah. the pickup. Yeah. I, I've also taken short pieces of wood and just screwed them down temporarily. Once the bike is loaded, put them in there, take take a couple of screws and just screw them in so they're pushed up against the front wheel. And it's, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. If it's a wooden floor of a trailer, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. yeah you can't do that with a pickup truck, of course. No. 
not the one I'm trading in soon. They'll say, what are these holes? <laughs> you don't want to do that. <laughs> so, okay. And, and, and when we're talking about tightening them up, now what, what I wanted to ask you about was how much do you recommend tightening this down? Because you can either tighten it a little bit and have it so there's hardly any tension on, the, on those front forks, or you can really reef it down. Yeah, that comes with experience. But I've seen people have them too loose. So the bike is now swaying left and right eight inches when you turn corners or hit bumps. That's too loose. Mm -hmm. I've also seen the opposite where people show up for the course and they've got a bike in the back of their truck and there's these huge bulldozer straps ratcheted down so there's virtually no suspension left on the bike. It's squashed and that's way too aggressive. So what I recommend is the first strap you should on is the side stand side of the bike. So the left side. So I hook one on, but I don't tighten it up. Then I lean the bike to the right. I'm standing on the left side and it doesn't fall down because I've got the left tie down strap hooked up loosely. Then I put the side stand up Then I walk around, hook up the right hand side strap. Now I can start ratcheting or pulling so that I leave the bike straight up and down. I don't want a left or right angle to the bike when it's in the back of the truck. And so you pull it down gradually. Sometimes you can hold the front brake and push with your arms on the handlebars. And then as you've compressed the suspension a little, tighten the strap up. And as a um, a final thing I do when I've got the front suspension compressed where I want it, before I walk away, I take the free end of the tie-down strap and I loop it around the base of the strap that's tight. I loop it around in such a manner as I kind of tie a bow in it. What that will prevent is even if the jaws of the retention part of the tie-down strap, if the jaws weaken or let go, my bike's not going to move because I've got a knot underneath. So it won't allow that strap to get longer, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I don't tie a knot in a conventional sense. You would tie a knot on a rope. It's more like a shoelace bow. So all I have to do when I get to where I'm going pull on the end of it, the bow lets go, I depress the ratchet or I move, undo it, and then off I go. So it's very important, the process of which one you tighten first, uh, which strap you put on. I do the left side of the bike because it's sitting there on the side stand. Then I can throw the bike over to the right and it doesn't fall down because I've got a loose strap on it. Put the side stand up, hook up your right strap, then get the bike straight and tighten it. So, it, But it still should have some bounce. You must leave some suspension still working in your bike. Now, you said bounce there, and that's the same method that I use, by the way. I, I start on the left side and then go to the right side, and it only makes sense. It's very logical once you start to work yourself through it. But you just said bounce, though, but you don't want it so that when you push down hard on those forks that it bounces uh, and shows slack, though. You want you want suspension to be left as far as your travel goes, yes. but, but no bounce in the straps. 
yeah, thanks for clarifying that. You don't want the thing bobbing around. Yeah, because that would tell you. It's not, so is, is, is there an amount of compression that you recommend? Would it be safe to even suggest that? We're like halfway down or something? It changes with every bike. If you've got a motocross bike with 12 inches of front end suspension, it's totally different than a Goldwing with five right. inches of front suspension. But I, my recommendation would be jiggle the bike left and right by the handlebars or at the back of the bike, grab a rack. If you can move it more than six inches, it's way too loose. Those should be tight enough. You can only move, jiggle it a little bit. But there's still suspension that's going to work on the bike. It could bounce around a little. Now, what about strapping the rear down? You know, my method for <laughs> when I'm loading it into the into the into the trailer is I'll strap the front down, but I'll strap the rear down as well, just to add stability to it. And really, in what my mind it was in my mind is always if something let's go in the front, I'm covered by the back. Does that make sense? Exactly, it does. Plus, it's good safety because if you leave the back end of the bike not strapped down at all, you hit some big bumps, the back end of the bike will come up. It's not going to land exactly where you had it. And if it bounces around enough to the right or left, it changes the front tire location possibly, and that loosens one or the other front straps, and you're going to have a dropped bike. Mm. Now, legally, in Ontario at least, and I'm sure it's the same in many areas, you must have the straps at the front at a 45 degree angle. They must be a certain width and tensile strap, uh, strength. And if an examiner checks out your trailer, the white tags that come with a tie-down strap have to be still on it. So that's the weight rating, is it? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if you have, you know, just binder twine, hold the bike on, they probably don't have tags showing it. <laughs> and you, I doubt you would get a ticket, but in true interpretation of the rules for, uh, I teach a towing and trailering segment of the course, how to load, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we, so I learned all this stuff just so I'm talking about the right stuff. But you have to have two at the front. Or like an ATV, you could have one long strap from the bottom of your pickup or trailer, goes up on a 45 degree angle to the front bumper, wrap it around a couple times, then it continues down to the other side at a 45. That's essentially two straps. The same at the back of the bike. What I'll do is when I don't have to get on and off anymore, because otherwise you have to crawl over straps. I'll secure the front, then walk towards the back. I leave the ramp on the truck so I can get right off the back of the uh, tailgate. And then I hook up my rear straps. And where you mount them shouldn't be to a luggage rack, something that could bend, that wasn't engineered for that. I try to go on the frame of the bike above the top of the suspension. If you just go to the swinging arm down near the wheel, it's not at a 45 and you can't compress the rear suspension. Mm -hmm. So that's important is where you put it. And I also put it so I'm not going to rub up against any bodywork or painted surfaces. And I, again, I don't like hooks because it'll scratch stuff. 
I use the cloth heavy duty straps and then the tie down strap into that. And I don't leave the ends of the tie down straps flapping in the wind because that can rub up against your paintwork or plastic and cause abrasion damage. Mm. So I, I tie those off, not in five knots that you won't be able to get undone. I've got a special little loopy knot that pulls out easily. A quick release. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Nothing worse. People show up with their bike in the back, say, oh, can you help me? I can't get the straps undone. Yeah, because they've tied it. I know. I'm, 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 I'm one for quick release knots, especially with ropes for camping, that sort of thing. But um, I was just going to back up here and, and just mention about, you said triangulation. You've said it a number of times about triangulation. The angle that the, that comes down that when you're talking triangulation, you said 45. It was another reference yes. you made, which is a triangle. So you have to be careful in what you're saying then, not to run the straps parallel to your forks going down into some mount. Oh, absolutely. That just doesn't Useless holding, you'll compress the front end, but first corner you make to the right, the ball, the bike crashes to the left. Yeah, yeah. So triangulation is the key, and you mentioned 45, the 45 degrees. So as close to that as you can get. Yeah. Uh, One other thing I do to prevent damage to your own bike, be very careful where you're routing or routing the straps So some people have electrical troubles when they get to the destination because they put the tie-down strap through some wiring up underneath the handlebar. So you got to be careful there. And I always shut my fuel off. If it's an old carbureted bike, you want that bouncing around with the, the floats can overflow and you'll lose fuel and maybe hard to start when you get there. And lastly, I think it's smart if you have an ignition key, take it out and leave it in the cigarette um, or the glove box or something in your pocket. We've had a couple people arrive with their own bike and both of them I was able to hotwire so they could use it for the training. Uh, A shady skill I acquired a long time ago (laughs) because this the key had bounced out on the way there. You know, an old worn ignition, It's a, your key's a little loose. Yeah. The wind can lift it and it's gone. I guess especially it, if you have a little tag on it or something like that, it could yeah. catch it. That's right. Yeah. So we always take the key out for transporting the bikes. Mm. Unless it's in an enclosed trailer then. But in the back of a pickup or, or open trailer, I always take them out just in case. Okay, so what have we left out, Clinton? I would say just unloading the bike once we got there, Jim. Mm, There's a little bit of a technique where people drop their bike or get scared. Uh, So what we do is you've arrived at your destination. You hook up your ramps. I take the straps off the back of the bike, and I use those to secure my ramp to the back of the truck. What I do is, you know where you hook your chains up? On your trailer hitch, yep. there's whole, I hook the bottom of the strap into that and then up to the ramp. So there's no way when backing up, I can kick the ramp off and crash. So once I've got the ramp secured, I throw the little trials helmet on. So at least it gives people some entertainment that day. <laughs> you know, they're saying, look at this chucklehead. He's not even starting the bike. He's got a helmet on. What a safety nut. <laughs> 
But and then as I get to the front of the bike, what I'll do is if I can put the side stand down, I'll do that. But sometimes if it's a shorter stand, you've got the bike compressed, it won't extend. So what I'll do is I'll leave the left strap hooked up as it was and I'll loosen it so that the bike leans over to the right. That gives me more ground clearance for kicking out and extending my side stand. Right, so you're just loosening it. You're not undoing it. No, because it's holding it there. If mm-hmm. it's a big, heavy bike and you take it off yeah. and there's a lot of strain on the right side, now what are you going to do? Right. It, you probably drop the bike. <laughs> so when you loosen it off, the bike is doing it for you. It's, it's leaning over and allowing room for you to swing the side stand down. Yeah, so the strap is an arm holding it up. Right. Then I got the side stand down. Now I'll stand the bike up because tie-down straps will release smoother and better if there isn't tension on them. Sometimes it's very hard, especially a ratchet strap under tension. Sometimes that's very hard to release. It can jam. So then I maneuver the bike around take the right tie-down strap off completely and unhook it from the bike and just leave it on the bottom of the truck. Then I put the bike on the side stand, unhook the left strap last. Then I stand the bike up, put the side stand up, and I put it in first gear. I'm not going to start it. So now, as I back the bike up very, very carefully... I've got it leaned onto my right hip, and I'm okay doing that because I've practiced pushing the bike around doing the same. I slowly back it up. So now the back wheel is about to lose elevation because it's going to start going down the ramp. To slow it down, I don't use a brake. I just release the clutch, and first gear will grab onto the back wheel. It's kind of like my anchor that's holding me on the ramp. So I then I leave my feet where they are. I pull the clutch in a bit and back the bike up a couple of feet or a foot. Let the clutch out. Holding on to the bike, I then move my boots back so I'm level with the foot peg again. And I repeat that slowly descending down the ramp And I take my time. I'm in no rush because it's a big, expensive bike. I don't come off in one motion because a lot of the ramps I use are just welded bars and there's big gaps in them. So if you're not careful with your foot placement, you could put your foot right through one of these holes. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to take your time. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you have a chance to sort of regroup yourself each time. Yeah, take a breath, look around, and people are laughing because you got your helmet on. <laughs> and then once I'm back down on flat ground, I'm good to go. Right. Well, this is, this is great, Clinton. I mean, is, is there anything else we've left out of wrestling our motorcycles? I think that's got it. Other than just be very careful to tie off the straps. Uh, my son, oh, he still cringes when he thinks of that. I think he was 12. And he'd worked at our off-road course, you know, sweeping containers, helping little kids, people get dressed, washing bikes. So he earned 
half of the cost of a little motocross bike that he dreamed of for years. Because we taught at motocross camps, but he just had a little trail bike, not a race bike. And so anyway, we got this brand new, it's called a YZ or YZ in the States, 85, perfect bike for him. And we had an open trailer. So the back of the trailer wasn't even on. It was like a ramp because mm-hmm. we had it full of bikes and gear because we were lending bikes to some other kids. And we hit a very, very bumpy road going into the motocross track. And as we slowed down to take the corner, there's all these people waving at us. And I thought, oh, wow, people know who I am. That's, isn't that nice? <laughs> uh, no, no. They were waving because... The old Mickey Mouse straps I had with just a hook, like an upside down letter J, Mm -hmm. when I hit these bumps, the bike suspension went down and the hook fell off. Mm -hmm. So the bike fell off the trailer, but I was dragging it up the gravel road with one strap. And this bike was literally brand new. He'd never ridden it before. So... The whole left side of this bike was absolutely trashed and he polished it and he tried so hard not to cry. Mm. And my friends at Motocamp, I'm totally grateful for. They said, Don't worry, buddy. Uh, we'll have that run because I ripped, ripped off grips. All the decals were gone. There was mechanical issues because it had dragged it up a gravel road for a mile. And the people waving and yelling were trying to get me to stop. Of course, my ego thought, well, they must know who I am. Isn't that nice? Anyway, we got the bike mechanically repaired. And uh, I cosmetically bought only plastic and decals because it was absolutely my fault. And I threw those Mickey Mouse straps in the garbage. So Mm. a lesson I learned expensively and emotionally damaged to my son was invest in good straps. So I don't use those open hook ones. There are so many cheap straps on the market because you made the joke about buying the nine three pack or whatever it is, you know, I mean, there are so many cheap straps out there. And and I, and I would caution anyone also is like, where are you buying it from? You know, because a lot of the online places you can buy stuff from, it's simply just not trustworthy. There's so many knockoffs out there. Whereas if you go to a retailer, the chance of getting a knockoff is is, uh, is almost zero. So you, you'll get a, a quality part. And, and with something like this, like you say, really to save a few dollars, how could it possibly be worth it? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's great, Clinton. Thank you very much. Lots to learn in this. Thank you for explaining all of it and uh, and taking the time to do it. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Jim. Keep warm. I will do. Thanks, Clinton. Okay, take care. Bye-bye, Jim. I was speaking with Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Their website is smartadventures.ca. Of course, we have that link in the show notes, along with some photographs of the things that we talked about today, all at our website, adventureriderradio.com. Hey, 
I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you. Thank you very much for listening to this. Hey, the show is built on a model of advertising, and, and can I ask you, and I'm sorry if I've asked you before, but it, it is really important, and it is how the whole thing works, and I, I just I have to keep asking. I would really appreciate it. We would really appreciate Elizabeth and I and everyone who has something to do with Adventure Rider Radio if you drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Just look at the options we have. Anything $10 or more gets you an Adventure Rider Radio sticker, which are very nice 3M, well-done stickers for your pannier, your toolbox. Anything $50 or more gets a shout-out on our Raw show. But we would really love it also if you would consider becoming a patron supporter. Be there every month for us. And you can do any amount for that. Anyway, if you like what you're, you're getting from the show, think about you know what you pay for coffee and those sorts of things and what you get from that and then what you get from the show. And, and if you think it's worth it, you know we would really appreciate it if you would uh, show some kind of support. And before I go, I'm just going to throw it there again. We have another show called Adventure Rider Radio Raw, if you're not familiar with it. It's a, a different style show from this, but it's made in the, in the same sort of uh, format. It's a roundtable talks about motorcycle travels and, and other things. Anyway, you can see all that at our website, but it is available anywhere you get podcasts as well. It's a separate show, so you need to subscribe separately. So uh, Adventure Rider Radio Raw, that is. Well, get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much once again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Jim Hyde with Rawhide Adventures, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.